0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Power of the Crowd podcast. My name is Esther Jeromey, and I'm so excited to have you back on the show. Today's guest is Tal Or Cohen. Tal Orr is the executive director, founder, and visionary for Global Arc, the Global Anti-Semitism Research Center. As an attorney and counselor from the United States, she's now in charge of this exciting startup that I will be introducing to you. Global Arc is building the biggest publicly available database platform for online anti-Semitism. The database will serve as an advanced engine of transparency that reflects the state of online anti-Semitism at any given moment in time. Global Arc is dedicated to democratizing the fight against online anti-Semitism. They will serve the public as the premier research, monitoring and alert center for tracking online anti-Semitism across social media platforms and in multiple languages. With the rise of online anti-Semitism and hate speech, it is now the time for us users to be empowered to take responsibility over creating spaces online where our rights and our dignity is respected. This is why it's a huge honor to have this conversation with Tal Or today. And I'm looking forward to asking her all the questions about what she believes the role of technology is in empowering us to create a better world. Talor Cohen here. She is the executive of Global ARC. Hello, Talor. Welcome. How are you today? Excellent. I'm very happy to be with you here today, Esther. Thanks for having me on the show. That's great. That's great. And I think I've already introduced our audience to your work, your mission, but it's always better and also more inspiring. If you want to introduce us to your vision behind Global ARC and where you want to go with
1: this. Global Anti-Semitism Research Center or Global ARC is a nonprofit tech-based startup initiative. We're launching the first ever database of online anti-Semitic content. And our platform is designed to drive the enforcement and improvement of digital policies across social media platforms and empower existing efforts against hate with the data that we collect.
0: Thank you very much. And I think it's always very valuable in these kinds of conversations when we have people behind, you know, the creation um, of a startup like that to speak a bit about your emotional journey and, you know, where you're coming from and how you got to this idea, because I think that's something, you know, we can't read on your website. So that would be really interesting to hear about your insights on that.
1: Okay, so I personally feel like I'm still smack dab in the middle of my emotional journey, because we're only one month away from the launch of the platform. So in a way, I kind of feel like I'm just getting to the top of a roller coaster. Um, I can tell you that professionally, I pivoted um, to this space because I felt like I wasn't making enough of an impact in my professional life. I'm a recovering lawyer. Uh, after working in high-tech law and corporate for a couple of years, I found myself just really not feeling like I was making enough of an impact in the world, and in suddenly in a consulting firm, focusing more on um, open source intelligence and business intelligence, with my first research project starting off in extremist movements in the United States, uh, hate crime reporting, the hate crime reporting infrastructure. And through several of those projects, I kind of developed this uh, specialization in online anti Semitism. And what shocked me the most wasn't the online anti Semitism that we can find in the dark corners of the internet, because unfortunately, that's to be expected, but the levels of open Jewish hatred and Jew hatred in the public square of today, which is the social media platforms. Uh, It was really shocking. And it's what inspired me as somebody who moved to Israel uh, to join the army uh, at the age of 18 to kind of fight for a better technological response to this epidemic of hate uh, online. And it's important for me to say that Obviously, online anti-Semitism directly affects me because I'm Jewish, but that the issue of digital hate on a wider scale and wider view is something that affects all of us today. Um, People who experience online hate suffer from anxiety, avoiding social media, avoiding expressing who they are. They really carry it with them on a day-to-day basis and it's affecting minority communities specifically because social media platforms are geared to give a voice to the majority. So the minority communities who experience this hate really are left with very little resources to fight back um, and to hold their platforms accountable for representation and adequate enforcement of the policies that are meant to protect them. Mm.
0: And I think before we go more into, you know, I think there's a lot of interesting things to say about the context and where you are kind of coming into this and, you know, how much there is still to be done and why we really need organizations like yours. I think it would be useful to hear specifically what your concept is and what the tool is that you're offering. And I think it's especially really exciting, I think, when I found out about you guys and your work with different languages, and, and and that is really something that makes you very special. So if you can kind of tell us about the tech behind it, that would be interesting. So the Global
1: Arc platform, as I said, is the first ever open source database, kind of centralizing online anti-Semitic content. But it's not only about putting the content in one place, it's also the way that we're able to show that snapshot of online anti-Semitism for our users who are the public and organizations fighting hate, lawmakers, journalists, and even the social media platforms themselves. So all of the content that we collect is organized by two parameters. One is the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance working definition of anti-Semitism, which features 11 examples of classic anti-Semitism and modern anti-Semitism. Uh, the reason that we chose that definition as our kind of lens of what anti-Semitism actually is is because this is the definition that has the most international consensus and recognition, not only on a world stage, but also is adopted by sports leagues, by universities, municipalities, and even courts in references to specific hate speech cases. So the reason that we're doing a digital application of this Working definition by the IHRA, or IRA working definition, as many people like to call it, is because we want to see this policy uh, tool implemented in our real lives, uh, and the digital spaces are very much a part of real life. So, all of the examples that we collect are categorized according to one of the 11 examples of the IHRA working definition, which we think really adds a level of education on what is anti Semitism in modern ways versus classical ways um, how you can identify holocaust denial online as well which is a huge issue so we have the ability to search through the content based off of really a discourse analysis tool so that's on one level but we also recognize the people that we're ultimately trying to affect here are the social media platforms themselves which is why we organize all of our data according to the digital policies that they violate. So if a piece of content is featured on our platform, we'll have an indication of what policy that content is violating um, based off of the digital community standards of that platform. The reason that that is important is because unfortunately we've seen that the enforcement rate um, of removing anti-Semitic content online is really, really poor. Uh, In the different studies that have come out, Looking at this at snapshots in different times, we see that the rate of removal of anti-Semitic content is at about 15% mm-hmm. um, removal rate at best. There are raw data for everybody to view uh, because they're afraid of the backlash, and I don't know if they have the same level of threshold. So when it comes to the ethical standards, we're very confident in the fact that we have human-in-the-loop technology and we have this double vetting process. Uh, but I was just yesterday in a training session with our analysts. <laughs> we were having, um, you know, a very serious discussion and debate about the issues, especially uh, regarding Israel-based uh, Jew hatred or modern uh, anti-Semitism, uh, sometimes anti-Zionism that definitely meets that threshold. Uh, kind of where do you draw the line? Uh, we have that discussion on an expert level. We have the... Um, the ability in our data review uh, technology to make sure uh, that
0: that way
1: needs to be responded to in a technological and scalable way.
0: Yeah, and I think um, in that that sense, what is very interesting also from the database you're gathering is whether you want to go into how you want this to be used by the public. So um, I understand, you know, we already spoke about... um, how this can be, you know, something that people can do in their free time and contribute to and, you know, empower themselves to be part of the solution. Um, What other versions do you see in terms of engaging with your audience and your public? And what potential do you see? um, And what's your vision for that? Sure.
1: So in addition to the public use of the platform by social media users who want to take back their digital spaces, we know that there are efforts, including in the legislature, we're at a very, specifically in the United States, at a very unique moment when it comes to uh, big tech reform. And again, as a minority community, we want to make sure that the issue of anti-Semitism is highlighted in any big tech reform discussion on a legislature uh, level. When we're really at this moment where we're examining the role of social media and the hate speech that's that's hosted on social media, Uh, We want to make sure that the issue of anti-Semitism and what we can can learn from the data uh, of anti-Semitic content online is incorporated into those discussions. So I see a very practical kind of legal law, literally law-making and policy-making application with this data. Uh, In addition, uh, I think that there are also other legal aspects of this data that can be used. So for example, online hate speech is akin or very connected to harassment and bullying, Um, Mm -hmm. and those cases are being tried increasingly in the legal space. Uh, Our data aggregation or our data collection and vetting uh, gives evidence to the lawyers who are trying these cases, let's say for Jewish people being harassed online um, with with a threshold of evidence, online evidence that can be used in a case. So that's kind of the legal way. Uh, we also see an application for the data that we're collecting in a brand safety and compliance way. So brand safety is a whole other issue, uh, but basically advertisers are not interested in having uh, their uh, funds that they're dedicating to these platforms, okay, for advertising purposes, actually monetize hate speech. So one of the things that we're looking to do is also work with, Uh, These very interesting self-regulating forums between advertisers and social media platforms Mm. that have kind of gotten to where they are before. Uh, They're even working with the regulators on setting industry standards. They're already setting industry standards for themselves. Um, But anti-Semitism is such a unique form of hatred. Uh, It's very layered. It's very complicated. And we want to be able to give in that expert insight on how to best account for it. So I see a digital application in terms of making sure anti-Semitic content isn't monetized. I see a legal application in the trial space with online harassment and bullying. I definitely see a um, lawmaking and policy when it comes to hate speech regulation on these platforms. You know, do we drive accountability with them as publishers, et cetera? Uh,
0: And of course, an activism, an activism platform. Yes, and I think based on that, it's also very interesting for our audience to kind of know from a personal aspect how, you know, how difficult this was for you. Like, what was the moment when you found out this is what I want to contribute? You know, the problem is very big, and as you said, it's also very personal to you. So, you know, what was your kind of, you know, moment when you decided, all right, I'm going to pursue this, I'm going to... Um, you know, leave my legal career in a way and implement my knowledge into this kind of startup? And, you know, what's the power that you see in innovation and in startups to kind of tackle these issues that can be very personal, as in your case?
1: So I think I had, I had the aha moment of you need to leave law before I understood that I want to dedicate myself to fighting online anti-Semitism, okay. uh, which happens for many people. Uh, in Israel, where I'm based, there's a joke that if you throw a rock in Tel Aviv, you know, there's a 65% chance that you'll hit a lawyer. Okay? <laughs> like, there, there are many lawyers and there are many lawyers who leave the legal space, and that's okay. It's a great training, great education. I'm happy that it did it. Um, but again, I don't know if it was a moment as much as it was really the encouragement of the managers who I had, you know, in, in the open source intelligence and web intelligence space here in Israel. I was lucky enough to work with very decorated intelligence officers, uh, people who worked in the police, people who were very, very senior in cyber positions. And I had an increasing passion because I was so outraged that this was the state of uh, the digital world that had this level of open Jew hatred. Um, And I just said, this is just unacceptable to me. And they kind of encouraged me and gave me a lot of uh, direction on how we can fight this Um, based off of a very Israeli open source intelligence kind of approach to the issue. So I I am where I am because a lot of support and a lot of passion. Um, I think the fact that I was trained as a lawyer makes me even more passionate to fight Mm -hmm. back because I think that compliance in this space and the law in this space is something that's still very much evolving. But really when it came down to it, you know, if we we take this to one of the, the the largest documented uh, genocides in history, which was the Shoah or the Holocaust, okay? The level of saturated hatred and, in mainstream media and popular opinion against Jews before the Holocaust was significant. It was being broadcasted on radios, it was being printed in all these major publications. And what's incredible is the, the social media platforms give a scale. Just on a purely on a, on a quantity basis, right? The amount of anti-Semitism that you can find online is overwhelming. Mm. That is scary. I really do believe that you know there's increasing studies about the connection between online hate and hate crimes in real life or violence or terrorism. It's mm. still something that's being explored, but unfortunately. As Jews, we've already been the victims of some of these hate crimes. Uh, most recently, in the Colleyville, uh, Texas uh, attack, that's in the U.S. level. Here in Israel, it's it's we've just recently had a wave of terror. But but what happened at Pittsburgh and what happened at Poway? These people were getting access to online anti-Semitic material that was radicalizing them. And again, I know that I'm speaking for my own community. We are not the only community that has suffered from real-world results Mm. uh, that were fueled by online hate. Mm. So, to me, I don't want to wait until the next catastrophe, certainly not until the next national-level catastrophe. I think that we need to leverage every resource that we have technologically, legally, and as a community as a community of even users who care about their digital spaces to fight back against this phenomenon. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think that anti-semitism is going to go away anytime soon, but it really bothers me that for example you could post something online that's horrific that you would no way walk around down the street with a t-shirt of that or Mm -hmm. You know a sign that says that because you know you'd be accosted you know you'd be confronted and i envision a world where it is as unacceptable to post something like that as it is to walk that way down the street and when people talk to me about the fine line of free speech you know that's my answer it's like what you what you should be posting online and how you should be interacting online should be pretty close to how you would interact with people on a day-to-day basis. Mm. And if it's not, it's up
0: to us to change that reality. Mm. Wow, I really love that. That's a very good way to kind of visualize it. Yeah, and I think I loved one of the... I was looking at some of the speeches you did, and you you were saying that, um, you know, we don't want to just stand by a genocide, and we don't want to just stand by and, and then say, you know, we, we didn't really pay attention. And I think that applies to all users and you don't have to be from a specific community, but as you said, being responsible about, you know, what we use and what we consume, um, is, 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 I think key here. And in that sense, also my, a question I had throughout was what's your vision for the future in terms of expanding global arc to, um, also feature information about other minorities, or you also mentioned bullying and other mental health issues that, Arise from hateful content. Um, is that something that you envision for the future after you've established yourself in the anti-Semitism sphere where I think you will be you know very much leading um, and therefore have the potential to expand? What's your ideas on that?
1: I think what's unique about our approach is that the dictionaries that we've created in order to track this anti-Semitism have been created with native speakers and with academic experts together to really have an excellent conversion rate of the data that we collect. Uh, and and really increase our ability to monitor this specific form of hate. I could easily and would be so happy to implement the same methodology when it comes to other forms of hate, including violent misogyny, um, homophobia, you know, racism against uh, black folks in America. It's just a beautiful synergy of the open-source intelligence methodologies, big data methodologies, and academic expertise in these forms of hate. I think that one of the nice, just a beautiful opportunity here to marry the lessons of history, learning about racism and technology. That's, that's what online hate speech policy should be about. Um, and I would love to leverage that into Global Hark, which would be the Global Hate and Anti-Semitism mm-hmm. Research Center, Um, And I would be privileged if I could continue to do the work in that way Mm. down the line.
0: (laughs) Mm. Interesting. So that would be kind of an expansion. I think something that is very innovative about what you do is that it is combining these traditional understandings of how we need information but then merging it with the digital space. Um, And so Mm -hmm. maybe if you can comment um, kind of on the final notes what power you see in... because technology is causing you know, this problem. And then you come in and you say, well, there is also technological tools that we can use to solve it. And I think kind of your perception on tech, um, what's your kind of moral standing on, you know, where we are going with the the rapid, you know, developments we, we witness in technology.
1: I don't think that there's an easy answer to that. I think that there's a lot of evidence to suggest that the social media platforms as we engage on them today with the algorithms that they are using are really engaging us in divisive behavior, in negative psychological health, just overall. Um, I think that we're at a moment though where everybody kind of recognized that there's a social media accountability crisis. Mm-hmm. okay uh and there's certainly a social media accountability crisis when it comes to anti-semitism but it, it's in general right that's why the big tech reform moment is happening right now in the united states I think that social media just like every other form of communication that we had before that it's it's okay that it hasn't been regulated until now just like the radio wasn't regulated just like tv and print journalism wasn't regulated until a need arose the issue with technology is that that need arises very quickly and in very intense volumes because it's been widely adopted, and the issue of hate and misinformation has become part of that environment. So, to me, Global Arc is kind of a first step leveraging the technology that's available to us to, as a nonprofit civil society, use tech to our advantage and say, We expect better. Even if we're not the regulator, even if we're not the social media platforms. We can use the technology available to us to demand better digital spaces. And that's what this is all about. And I also just wanna add that I think you will see more and more nonprofits because a nonprofit space is a very specific space as well. It will become increasingly technological. The new generation of nonprofit leaders who come from different disciplines, whether it's legal or finance or tech and want to implement their knowledge in a way that is better for our society, we will have increasingly tech-based nonprofits and Global Arc is very excited to be a leader in that space.
0: Thank you very much. Um, So your launch is coming up in exactly about a month. Um, Any last words you wanna mention about how you feel about it, um, what the next steps are, anything you wanna highlight? before we end? So our, our
1: platform is going to be available for public use, uh, as you said, in exactly one month, Friday, May 13th. Um, we can get into why I actually think that's a very lucky date for us. Um, I'm very excited to see how people will interact with the platform, use it to report uh, online anti-Semitism. Towards the end of the summer, we're going to be having kind of a more uh, data-based and researcher-based onboarding for strategic organizations. Another um, user base that I think is maybe overlooked for this platform but very important are educators as well. Uh, educators, uh, civics educators, history educators, uh, whether it's on the high school level or the professor level, uh, can use our platform in order to get a understanding about anti-Semitism. Also, look specifically at the issue of Holocaust denial and distortion on a historical level, which I think is something that is missing from maybe Holocaust education overall today. What does Holocaust denial and distortion look like today in the real world? I think it's important to educate our younger generation on what that actually looks like in their digital spaces. So that's another user base that I think is going to find this platform very useful who want to use the data that we collect to empower their own efforts. So we'll probably be having uh, a May launch and then an end of summer launch um, as well. Uh, As I said, we're gonna be expanding our um, language monitoring efforts probably towards the end of the year into additional languages. And eventually we'd really like to take our same methodology to gaming and chat platforms as well. Mm. Uh, As popular as social media platforms are, Gaming and chat platforms are no less popular. They have even younger audiences and less industry standards when it comes to hate speech and violent organizations. So we're excited to expand into those uh, spaces as well. That's just on a very logistical level. On a a personal level, I I couldn't be um, more excited. I really do think that this is going to be uh, a game changer for the digital future. Um, and certainly a disruptor in the social media accountability crisis that we're experiencing today.
0: Thank you so much, Taylor. This was very, very, very interesting, and I can't wait for people to discover um, the platform and to see what it looks like. I think we spoke a lot about it, but then the magic of actually seeing it will be something that I think will really demonstrate the impact and the power that, you know, your idea holds. And I thank you very much for taking the time to speak to me today. Thank you
1: so much, Esther. I appreciate the opportunity and thank you for all the important work that you're doing as well in the open innovation space.
0: Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Power of the Crowd podcast. We hope you enjoyed this conversation with Tal Orr. Please make sure to follow us on Instagram at Global Crowd. And tag hashtag the power of the crowd to be featured in the future episodes conversation. We hope you will stay vigilant and use your social media wisely and we'll see you next time.